Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm sorry you're late to the party, but that's not why I'm doing this. This is my fun for my friends and we're doing this. And if you want to come with us, that's cool. Right. Come on. Um, <laughs> But it, I got so many requests and I said, all right, I'll, I'll package these up somehow. So I packaged up the first 52 and said, uh, here you go. Here's a year of wine. Here's a book. Here's a year of wine. There's 52 uh, chapters. It'll take you five minutes to read it. Go try some Chenin Blanc. And then next week, go try some Nebbiolo. And next week, go try some Tonight. And then next week, go and see what you think. And, uh, and so I, I literally did it so I would have, I could stop responding to emails <laughs> and then it became a bestseller. <laughs> so. Wow. Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my Melting Pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this Melting Pot and enjoy the chats. Hi everyone. Today, my guest is Michael Jurgens. Michael is so multifaceted and such an interesting person. Um, he's the founder of the Bhutan Wine Company. He's an author and also a senior partner with a consulting firm. Thank you so much for joining me uh, today, Michael. There's absolutely so much to hear from you that I can't wait to kickstart this conversation. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me <laughs> on. So, so, Michael, let's just backtrack a little and uh, maybe, you know, if you could give my listeners, viewers and me a little background to you uh, before we actually start talking about the real stuff. Sure. Um, I mean, I, uh, I am a, a punk rock skateboard kid from Southern California um, and uh, grew up. Um, kind of just living that, that Southern California lifestyle and uh, decided that I was going to try to live my best life before, before that was a thing. Now, now it's a meme, but like I decided I was going to try to do that early on. And uh, you know, that's, that's let me uh, do all kinds of stuff from, you know, doing adventure races in, in Antarctica to swimming with great white sharks to starting the world's uh, highest rated rum company to teaching at a couple top universities to being a partner at a at a big four consulting firm uh, and to be on deck to be the 
61st American to qualify as a master of wine, which wow. uh, a stat I like to drop is that there's more astronauts in the United States than masters of wine, which wine. <laughs> yeah. how, how just esoterically geeky that industry qualification <laughs> is. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I write books. I, uh, I, I, I record music. Uh, I play in a punk rock band. Um, I, I make art. I, I, I try to just, so you just live your best life, I guess, um, and just drive. Yeah, and I think that's that's the way to be, really. Um, you know, to be able to not hold back, and whatever, um, whatever sort of gets you going and makes you happy. That's what you should really be doing. Um, so, and I mean, you clearly are doing a lot of different things. So how did wine come about and your love for wine? So uh, I was never a wine drinker um, growing up. And when I was about maybe 22 years old, my dad, who also was not a wine drinker, had been to Italy on a business trip. And while he was there, he made friends with one of the local restaurant owners. Um, I think it was one of those things where like the restaurant was across the street from his hotel. So he ate there every night and, and he was by himself. And so he talked to the, the guy and the, he made friends with him. Yeah. And so the guy gave him this bottle of wine to take home. It was a bottle of 1975 Gatnara. I remember it vividly. Right. And, um, and he came home. And, uh, and he showed me this and he's like, you know, I met this guy, he gave me this special bottle of wine to, as a gift. I brought it home. Do you want to drink it with me? And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about wine at all. Wine right. is for sissies. I mean, as a punk rock kid, you know, like we were doing <laughs> yeah. shot of tequila, you know, we were drinking <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was for sissies. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he said, come on, Mike, why, why don't you, you know, just just try it with me and so i said okay and uh he goes let's smoke cigars because cigars go well with wine like we didn't know anything <laughs> and my mom was like you're not smoking cigars in the house you go outside to the garage so we we went in the garage and the garage was full of full of stuff and we put folding chairs i remember this like this was 30 years ago i remember this vividly this scene is embedded in my brain for eternity we put folding chairs out by the washing machine which by the way was on and it was going clunk 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 <laughs> and this bottle was wrapped in this old plastic that had turned yellow and he sort of cut the, cut the plastic off and we put it in the plastic cup like red plastic cups and we sat in the garage <laughs> by the washing machine, smoking cigars. And uh, and it was one of those like aha moments where, I mean, I, I like I didn't know what to do with wine, but I, I I put my nose in it and I I smelled it and I tasted it and I was like it was like a light bulb turned on in my head, and I was like, oh, I understand why people care about this. Like I don't still don't care about it but i understand why other people do care about this and that i actually have a i have a theory on this that there are certain things that the body is is neurologically wired to do because of fifty thousand years of evolution and if you read the book like sapiens by um yuval no harari yeah. like like he talks about some of this stuff and i think one of those things is wine i mean we've been doing we've been making wine 
and using it as a way for medicine nice. and to purify our water and to create community and culture for 10,000 years. Like we've been doing this like five times as long as we've had written language kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so I think, and most people that are super into wine, when you talk to them, they have a moment like this that they can talk about where the switch flips. And it's, it's kind of like the neural pathways are there and all you need is the, the switch to turn them on and then let the neurons run into that channel and then, uh-oh, we're off <laughs> to the races. And, and that's what happened to me. Um, and uh, 30 years later, here I am, you know? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you know, it, it's a very interesting way of how you uh, actually got to you know, how the aha moment happened for you with wine. Normally, it's, it's, it's like a very um, organic process, you know, so it's quite, quite interesting. Okay, so um, Bhutan, I mean, obviously, when we talk to you about wine, then we can't but help ourselves sort of connecting the two, right? Um, so when did you first go to Bhutan? That's have, have, you been, have you been, by the way? No, I've, I've never been. And, and when I, you know, when I was listening to, I'm, I've been wanting to go um, and have had a couple of failed attempted trips. But um, after I was listening to one of your, your conversations, I said, oh, my God. And then I started reading up on Bhutan and I listened to a couple of TED Talks and I said, wow. Oh, did, you see, uh, did you see Shearing Tabye? Yes. About like, uh, yes, I did. Oh my God, oh, that was fascinating. It was. Shearing is a dear, dear friend of mine, and I love that guy to pieces. And his his TED talk where he comes out and he's like, "I come before you in the garb of." Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one. The yeah, yeah. I mean, it's powerful, powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, shearing's yeah, um, great. Um, yeah. So, and interestingly enough, there's three places that you can get a direct flight into Paro. It's Delhi, Bangkok, and Singapore. So, so yeah, I you know. know. I'm aware of that. I'm aware. <laughs> I was just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah. You can, there's, there's no excuse. You no can just excuse. go down to the airport and get on a plane and go straight to Paro. Yeah. Um, so I went to Bhutan, I think, for the first time in around 2016. In a very roundabout way. I didn't even know where Bhutan was. I thought Bhutan was in Indonesia. The only reason I went there was because my girlfriend had read a book about Bhutan when she was in high school and she would not shut the hell up about Bhutan and want me to go there. And so I had an opportunity to go to run a marathon there and, uh, and I seized it. Yeah, you and, didn't uh, add the marathon bit to your long list of uh, stuff that you do. <laughs> so. Okay, well, you know, here's the tough part. Like, someone goes like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't even know how to answer that question. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I do, I do me. I, I like, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There's a ton of stuff in there. But yes, I also <laughs> run a bunch of extreme adventure races around the world. And so, this was one of those, but I didn't know that it was in the Himalayas. I thought it was an island in Indonesia. And so when I signed this up, I went to my girlfriend. I'm like, surprise, honey, I'm taking you to Bhutan. And she's like, awesome, we're going to the Himalayas. And I go, 
no, we're not. And she goes, yeah, we are. Look it up. And I literally, I had to, I looked it up on my phone because I'm like, Bhutan's not in the Himalayas. Click, 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 click. Oh, shit. Bhutan's in the Himalayas. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, that's how I ended up in Bhutan the first time. And I, did, I knew nothing about the country. I did zero research. Um, I just said, we'll show up and we'll see what happens. And, and that's how it all kind of started. And then how did you, um, you know, what kind of got you thinking about wine in Bhutan? Where, how did that come about? So it was a combination of a couple factors. So I mentioned that I'm studying to become um, this, to get yeah. this master wine certification. Yeah. And so to that end, I had traveled, I had visited almost every globally relevant wine region around the world from New Zealand, Australia, Africa, South Africa, Europe, South America, everywhere. And, and had also done just enormous amounts of study and research and, and so on and so forth. And so when I got to Bhutan, two things happened. One, um, Bhutan is the only carbon negative country on the planet. Yeah. And they're on track to become the first 100% organic uh, country on the planet. So everything will be produced organically. So everything I ate was unbelievably spectacular, like literally the best every, the best zucchini, the best celery, the, like, like you're waxing poetically about a potato. Like it's just, it's just bursting with flavor. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing is the way it looks, there's all these terraced slopes and these crops um, on these just beautiful vistas. So in my head, I assumed that there was wine. Like I, I it, it never occurred to me that there was a country in today's society that had the organic potential to, to make amazing wine that didn't. Everybody else does um, and has in, for hundreds or if not thousands of years, right? So everywhere we went in the country, I kept asking the locals, Hey, where are the wineries? Is there a winery near here? I want to go visit the wineries. And everyone's like, we don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is, but there's no wine. Yeah. Like, what's a winery? <laughs> so I ended up randomly at this dinner um, with a bunch of government officials who wanted to meet the, the crazy foreigners that had come to the country to run a marathon in the Himalayas. And, uh, and I just, I was, I was asking the government people, I was like, Hey, where's the wineries? I want to visit them before I leave. Um, and they said, we don't have any. And, um, and I, of course, got very incensed. Like, how dare you, you have this beautiful terroir that's been gifted to you and you're not making what you're wasting your talents. Like what is wrong with you people? You need to solve this huge you need to rectify this error immediately and start making wine. <laughs> so <laughs> I could mean way overstepping my bounds. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's what started the conversation. And in my head, I never, I never intended to be involved. I just thought they should do it. Like you have this thing. It's perfect. Make some wine. I'll tell you how to do it. I'll, I'll, draft your business plan. I'll write your wine regulations. Just go do it. I want you guys to do this because I think it will be spectacular and amazing and transformative for the country. Just 
go do this. Let me know when it's done. I want to come try the wine. And then, uh, and then they dragged me into it. And so here I am, you know, helping them do it. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. So at what kind of stage are you at with, um, have you, because it takes a few years, right? For, um, so, so like at what stage of the, the, the grapes sort of evolving and all of that are you at at the moment? So there's, the, the first thing is it takes um, anywhere from, let's say, three to five years for a vineyard to come online and start producing fruit. That's issue number one. Yeah. Issue number two is um, there's no history of grapes being grown in the country. So we don't really know, will Chardonnay grow well here or will Cabernet grow well here? The other thing we don't know is there's every, you know, the lowest altitude in Bhutan is like 500 feet. The highest altitude is 27,000 feet. Yeah. And that span is like 400 miles. So like within a 400 mile span, you have every climate zone known to man, every different altitude. So we also don't know what altitudes are optimal. So what we did was we planted um, eight vineyards at different altitudes ranging from about, let's say 1500 feet up to about 9,000 feet. And I planted um, 13 different grapes. Um, actually 14 different, 14 different grapes. No, 13, ah, whatever. Um, five white and like eight red. Um, and at, at every different altitude. And I know a bunch of it's going to fail, which is fine. I don't, yeah. I don't need for it to be perfect. Um, and so six of the vineyards are in their fifth year and two of the vineyards are in their third year. And so we we could have made our first wine this year, but we did. We chose strategically to not do that. And the main reason for that is because this is going to get more esoterically geeky about wine than maybe you want to, or maybe your listeners care about. No, no. <laughs> um, when you when you when you are pruning grapevines, um, what you do the year before dictates how much fruit you get the following year. Okay. Last year, Bhutan was on lockdown because of COVID. And so um, we had some, so they were very skilled agronomists, but they've never grown vinifera yeah. before. And so like we were trying to tell them how to prune like over WhatsApp and like sending them videos and stuff. And anyways, bottom line is we didn't prune well last year. And so this year was going to be a poor year for fruit regardless. And so um, now that the country's opened back up, we are utilizing this growing season as really a um, a learning year. And what's funny is, is so I have daily updates from my vineyard teams and I have weekly calls with the whole team. And so we have our weekly call yesterday. So one of my vineyards, I have a mildew problem. One of my vineyards, I have a beetle problem. One of my vineyards, I have a bird problem. Uh, and one of my vineyards, I have a water problem. So I have four vineyards with problems, but the problems are different. And so, you know, we're, we're, using this time to try to solve for those problems to get us set up for next year. And next year, the plan is we will make the first, um, the first harvest ever. And this is super cool. I think the last time that a country sort of invented a wine industry and made its first wine ever was New Zealand in the 1800s. Yeah, this hasn't been done in 200 years. Every place that can grow wine 
has integral grapes to make wine. Yeah, it does have done from it from Russia, Georgia, yeah, yeah. Greece, you know, the Middle East, South yeah. America. I mean, this has all been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. So it's going to be a big historical year, and I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, just kind of phone it in. So, so we we made the strategic decision this year to say we're not going to make wine. We're going to learn. Next year's our year. Yeah, interesting because obviously it's you know you it, it's completely unknown and and the terrain uh, as far as the grapes go. So, yeah, I mean, there's bound to be um, and and it's good that you've been able to see these four different problems. <laughs> And 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 then um, try and work out how uh, to deal with each one of them. So it's you know it's it's a learning and um, and so what are you going to um, brand the wine bottles as? Uh, have you thought of a name? Have you? I mean, have we, you? We have, have thought you, of a name, and there's there's a whole story behind this name. So I will tell I'd you the name. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear I the name, name and the story. story. Yeah. The name is Sercam. Is what? S-E-R-K-E-M. Sercam. Okay. So you're like, okay, Sercam, big deal. Ah, so okay. Here's, here's how this, this name came about. In the kingdom of Bhutan, the tradition is when a, a child is born, you take the child to the monastery, and there are special monks who are in charge of naming things. And the monks give the child their first name and their second name. Okay, so Which, it's not it's not the parents who or the extended family that decides. Oh, that's interesting. Nope. Which is it's maddening because you can't tell who's related to anybody else because everyone has a different second name. My right. my business partner, uh, him and his brother, their both their first names are both Karma, but their second names are different. Uh, <laughs> And he's the younger brother, so everyone calls him by his second name, but I call him Karma, but I can't around his family because there's another car. It's just it's a maddening situation, but right. that's, that's the tradition. So, so um, we, as we were building out the wine industry, like we've taken a very collaborative approach with the, the country and the culture. And so I, I had this, I was like, look, this is our baby. Why don't we let the monks name our baby? So we went to the master namer monk and we're like, hey, we're going to build a wine industry here. Like, do you want to name it? <laughs> They're like. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
yes, we want to name it. It's like, okay, cool. So uh, about six weeks later, they get back to me and I, they put like the, a team on it, <laughs> a team of monk neighbors. And they got back to me and they're like, okay, your name is Sir Cat. And I go, all right, what's it mean? And so they explained it to me that when you visit a Buddhist temple, it is tradition that you would bring a, an offering for the gods. And the offering could be food or it could be money or it could be alcohol. And if that offering is alcohol, it's called serkem and it is the alcohol of the gods. Wow. <laughs> that is so interesting. <laughs> you just hear serkem and you're like, yeah, uh, whatever. But then you hear like the story about like the master name or monk of the country and it's the alcohol of the gods. And like, <laughs> like that's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, that is so yeah. interesting. I think um, you're, it's blessed. So, you know, your wine company um, and the wine production and all of that, I think is, is now blessed by the monk. Um, and, you know, he's also given the name and I think it's going to go far, therefore. So, well, you know, it's, it's funny when we, um, every time we plant a vineyard, we do a ceremony ahead of time where we have the monks come down and they, and they, they bless that vineyard and they do it in different ways. Um, we've done it with them and, and we kind of leave it up to them, but I've done it once where they did like chanting. I did another time where they read prayers for like hours. They just read prayers. I did another one where they sprinkled milk and, um, and uh, something else in the vineyards. Um, and here's another super interesting story. The first vineyard we planted, I was trying to import grapes into Bhutan which the long story short, it's difficult <laughs> to, to import live species across borders. Um, and so I thought I had figured out all of the paper correctly, but I, I got to LAX to get on my passenger flight to Bhutan and my grapes were getting on the cargo flight and they, they basically texted me and said, there's a problem with the paperwork. You're not going to, they're not going to go. And I said, figure it out. I got to just hope that something good happens. And I got on the plane anyways. And we get to Bhutan, um, you know, 30 hours later. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm texting the whole time and emailing and like, where are the grapes? Are the grapes coming? And, um, and they're like, we don't know. We don't know where your grapes are. And I have a team of 30 people ready to go at 8 a.m. in the morning um the, the next day with my grapes that aren't there and so i'm sitting out in front of the hotel and it's it's about 5 30 p.m and i'm just like and there's no grapes and i got this team and the field's prepped and ready to go and we're about to plant the first vineyard and i have no grapes and i'm beside myself i'm like ah what's gonna happen now and uh, and i'm literally sitting on the front steps of the hotel like with my head in my hands trying to figure this out and a truck pulls in and they're like hey are you looking for some grapes and i go yes i am and they're like we got a truck one i'm like awesome wow so the next morning we show up to plant and um have you ever seen it when like there's the ring around the sun in the sky yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't happen very often but that's yeah. like a ring yeah so we get to, we get to the vineyard we unload the truck 
and we start unpacking the, the grapes and all of a sudden someone looks up and points and there's a ring around the sun and everybody drops what they're doing and stops work stops working and they all kind of sit there and they're like ah they're you know and i don't speak Bhutanese, so like i don't, I don't know what's going on but the ring around the sun is a, a big big deal and so i finally asked our uh one of the guys i'm like what's going on they're like that is one of like the biggest like good luck omens ever the gods are blessing this planting right now and we are stopping to to sort of pay attention to it and yeah. i was like wow <laughs> so yeah there's i think there's been a lot of like really positive like if you believe in sort of the universe yeah. energy and stuff yeah the universe wants this to happen yeah and therefore it will happen. Yeah. And all the signs, I mean, your, your grapes mm, almost not showing up and then they suddenly appear and then you, here you go. And it's that holy sign. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, there's all these obstacles, like even last year, um, we are, I guess it was two years ago now, we were importing more vines. Do you remember when the ship got stuck in the Suez Canal? Yes. Yeah, so I literally had grapes leaving France to go to India through the Suez Canal when that happened. Oh my! And, and so it was. It was the same sort of deal. It was kind of like, well, like, what do we do? And they're like, you, there's nothing you can do. Like, there's got to be. And by the way, you have grapes. They come out of the nursery. They're cold, but as you take them out, they start to warm up. And as they start to warm up, they start to grow. You have to get them in the ground, like before they start so to grow what, or they die. Yeah, what, what, what is the optimum time from between, you know, the grapes coming out to them being planted? I would guess um, you probably want to get them in the ground within three to four days okay. of them coming out of cold storage. And right. so typically what would happen is if you were to ship them um, on a container ship, you would ship them in a refrigerated container so they would stay cold. And then at the end, you know, you pull them out and you've got a few days to get them in the ground. But it's, I mean, it's a short window. And, um, and yeah, it was the same kind of thing. I was making calls and like calling in some favors. And sure enough, luck of the draw, uh, I got I got some people to get my vines to, to uh, Kolkata, India. Um, and then they had closed the border between Bhutan and India because of COVID. COVID. And so I have a truck at the border in the sun heating up and they won't let it in. And I'm like calling and saying like, what can we do? What can we do? And finally, like they gave us a special exception to get our grapes in. And, <laughs> and, then, and then the main highway was closed because of COVID. So we had like a special exception to drive on the highway with our grapes as they're heating up. Uh, and we got them there and we got them in the ground. I mean, it's, this whole thing has been um, this series of just crazy challenges. But in every case, you've been it's able to, yeah, it's, it's you've seen the other side of it. No, that's that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, OK, let's talk a little bit about your books. You uh, from what I have read, you've published about 11 books yeah it's something like that. 11 maybe 11 11 i mean if if the information on the internet is correct yeah. and that's what i saw um so what um you know clearly 
there must be some books which are related to wine. I'd be surprised if there aren't. Um, and uh, so, yeah, just just take us through uh, some of the books that you know you have have written and gotten published. Yeah. Um, so I think I've written seven books about wine. Seven books about wine. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you how it all started. Um, so when I first was studying for these upper level certifications, I went out and I bought every wine book I've ever read, uh, just to try to learn. And they were all just dry and boring as hell and just tedious reference manuals, informative, but not entertaining. Right. And so I was like, why isn't there like a fun wine book? Um, and everyone's like, there is, it's called Sideways. You should see the movie. But I'm like, I have seen the movie and I have read the book. And it's, it's a, to be honest, it's a little, it's a little girly. It's a little lovey, lovey dovey for me. Like, where's like the, where's the, the guns and the fighting and the wine and the, you know, where's that book? And it didn't exist. So I go, ah, the hell with it. I'm going to write one. I'm going to write that book. And so I did. I wrote a book about the secret underground world of high stakes gambling on blind tasting wine competitions run by the Chinese mafia. And these, <laughs> these dudes are trying to scam the system and steal all the money. And there's <laughs> sex and drugs and violence. And <laughs> so I wrote that book. Right. And, uh, and it just literally for me, like it was, I'd never... I had any sort of dreams of grandeur. I just was like, the world needs something like this. So I'm going to do it. So I did. And, uh, and then that book was extraordinarily well-received. Um, and so I wrote a sequel to it. Uh, and, and then people were like, we need more of this. We need more of this. And then along that same timeline, people were like, look, my friends were like, Mike, you're a wine guy. You're writing these books can you give us some wine recommendations and i go no i cannot like it's not my job here's a recommendation go to the wine store pick something that you don't know what it is drink it and see if you like it and if if you do great and if you don't try something different that's my recommendation they're like no no no. we want something a little more specific than that so i was reading um a book by a celebrated wine in which the wine author was um, making fun of Chenin Blanc, which is a grape that I love dearly and I think makes great wine. And I was like, this is BS. Chenin Blanc, like literally the author was like, Chenin Blanc is a garbage grape. And I'm like, no, it isn't. It's great. And you guys should all drink some Shannon. So I, I, literally, I was reading this book on the plane and I opened up my laptop on the plane and I drafted an email to like 10 of my friends saying, hey, if you don't know about Shannon Blanc, you should go drink Shannon <laughs> Blanc right now. Wow. And screw this author. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, and so I sent that email out and then everybody responded. And they're like, oh, this is so amazing. Can you send us another one? I'm like, okay. So I sent out another email. And then what happened is, is those people got those emails and they forwarded them to their friends and their friends forwarded them. 
And I started getting emails from all over the world saying, hey, can you put me on your, this wine newsletter thing that you're doing? I'm like, I'm not doing a wine newsletter. <laughs> I'm doing stuff for my friends. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I just kept, kept, uh, kept doing this until it got too big to, uh, to manage um, out of my email account. So I set up a website so that people could sort of self-select in and it would just automatically email them stuff and I wouldn't have to worry about it. So my problem solved. But then people started emailing me going, hey, I'm late to the party. Can you send me the first 40 issues or the first 60 issues? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the librarian. Like, I'm sorry you're late to the party, but that's not why I'm doing this. This is my fun for my friends. And we're doing this. And if you want to come with us, that's cool. Right. Come on. <laughs> um, but it, I got so many requests and I said, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll package these up somehow. So I packaged up the first 52 and said, uh, here you go. Here's a year of wine. Here's a book. Here's a year of wine. There's 52 uh, chapters. It'll take you five minutes to read it. Go try some Chenin Blanc. And then next week, go try some Nebbiolo. And next week, go try some Tonight. And then next week, go and see what you think. And, uh, and so I, I literally did it so I would have I could stop responding to emails <laughs> and then it became a bestseller. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so, so I, so I issued volume two, I batched up the next 52. So this is kind of how, like, I never set out to be a, a wine author. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it's just, it, it just kind of happened. Yeah. It just so are you doing any more um, um, sort of sequels of your first book? So I did, um, I did the, I did three books in that trilogy, okay. um, all wine fiction. Um, and I, I have an idea for book number four, um, <laughs> that, you know, we'll see if I actually get around to doing it. Um, my, I take with creativity is, is, uh, I sort of get like an idea, um, and it just sort of festers until at some point it says, I need to come out. I need to come out of you. Uh, and then I sit down. Every book I've written, I've written. Well, with the exception of the drinking and knowing things, because that's like every week. But every novel I've written, I've written in like two weeks. That's it. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, because it's, it, the story oh, bit, yeah. the story builds for a couple years. Yeah. And then I go, okay, it's time. And I basically just hole up and I just vomit out a novel. So. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be a fourth. Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> There's so much else that's going on anyways. So no, I I mean, from this conversation with you um, in whatever time we've spent together, I think there will be a fourth <laughs> sooner than later. <laughs> well, I can guarantee you there'll be more books. Yeah. For sure. Whether or not there'll be um you know, the next, the fourth book of that trilogy. Actually, so I had this idea um, a couple of years ago that I was like, all right, champagne's interesting. Um, can I write different stories where champagne features, but make the stories very, very different? Right. So I ended up um, like writing a bunch of short stories about champagne where, and it ranges from like Nazi Germany to like the ghetto in East LA and crack dealers 
to like social media influencers. <laughs> I, I, I tried to pick as, as diverse topics as I possibly could and say, okay, what, how would you put champagne into this? <laughs> uh, and then I, just to see if I could do it um, <laughs> with the idea that every story would, would push a certain emotional button. There, so there's one that's going to make you angry. There's one that's going to make you laugh. There's one that's going to make you cry. There's one that's going to make you sad. And it was literally just this, could I do it sort of thing. And I was, I was field testing every story on my girlfriend. And so one morning I wrote the, the sad story. Um, and, and she woke up and she came downstairs. And I had been up since like four o'clock in the morning working on this thing. She comes downstairs and she's eating, drinking coffee. And I go, hey. Danny, I want you to read this story for me. It'll take you 10 minutes. And she goes, okay. And so I'm sitting there at the table. I'm watching her. And she's reading the story. And I'm watching her. And she's reading the story. And she gets to the end, to the crux. And her face drains of color. And she starts sobbing uncontrolled. So you... I'm done. I did it. And she's like, <laughs> what are you sharing? <laughs> Bobbing, give me a hug. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I did it. I did it. So, it, so, and that's what became the, the champagne tale, which is another book I, I wrote. So I, I, I honestly, I think probably my next book is likely to be something like that, where I just get some crazy, stupid idea in my head and I have to figure out a way to, and I don't know what it is. We'll see. Oh yeah. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. I mean, I could just talk to you for another couple of hours or even more because it's, it's so interesting to, to hear you. And I'm sure my listeners and viewers will really, really enjoy this conversation. So thank you. Um, anything that, you know, any sort of, um, how shall I put it? Words of wisdom <laughs> for the listeners and the viewers before before we sign off. Yeah, I mean, I think my whole purpose in life, and, and I, I hate this term that's this sort of living your best life. I feel like that's over overused. But one of the things that I've tried desperately to do is to be open to the universe putting opportunities in front of me and then saying yes to them without any overcommitment to a particular outcome. Like writing a, writing a novel about wine tasting. Like, I just, I just wanted to see if I could do it. Like if it, if it sold a million copies or if it sold one, like I don't care about that, the outcome. And, and the more I've leaned in on that philosophy, the more successful I've been and the cooler my life has become. So I, I think, um, you know, if, if people could stop being so outcome specific yeah. and just relax and just let the universe take you to where you're supposed to go and lean in on it and cool stuff's going to happen. And you, you know what? You may, not, you may not end up with the most money, but you'll probably end up with the coolest story, right? And the most friends and the best, inter most interesting relationships and stuff. And, and that's really why we're here. So. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And you, my dear, you. <laughs> are a short plane ride away from Bhutan. So I expect to see you coming up for a harvest. Absolutely. And sampling some wine. And when, when is that going to happen? Well, it'll be uh, late July, early August of next year. Of next year. It'll be the first one. 
Okay, I'll, I'm going to keep that. You in have mind. no excuse. No. You're right there. Absolutely no excuse. And I completely get that. And, and I'm a traveler anyway. So for me to get on a plane and get anywhere is just, you know, it's, I think about it and I'm there. So um, no, most definitely I'm going to, to, in fact, I'll kind of reach out to you and, you know, see when you're there, then um, I'll just show up. And I mean, yeah, and actually, this is, this is the God's honest truth. So I talked about this idea of the first ever harvest in a in a country. Yeah. Um, and so if you were going to go like next summer would be that we're filming a documentary about it. It's going to be a piece of history. We're bringing in uh, wine people from all over the world want to participate in it. So like if you were going to do it next summer would be a cool time to do it just so you could participate in this moment in time that, that hasn't happened in 200 years and may not happen again ever. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe if global warming continues, maybe Finland will start making wine. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I can help you with all the visa stuff. Uh, open invite. I, I want everyone to uh, experience the beauty that is Bhutan. And, and hopefully I can capture some of that in a bottle for people. And, and uh, yeah, to you, to all of your listeners, come to Bhutan. Thank Everyone's you well. so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Me for sure will be there, and I'm hoping you know some some others who are listening in or viewing will also also make the trip. So thank you once again, and it's just been fantastic talking to you. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, and uh, yeah, look forward to seeing everybody in the comments. Thank you, Michael. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Bye for now. Good. Bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 